So the first slide we start with is our contact information. For Corey Help, we have two phone numbers, and also you can send an email to Corey at gbls.org. We also have booklets, uh, Corey booklets at our gbls.org website. The Corey epidemic. Nationally, we have approximately over 100 million people who have criminal records that are filed in a state repository. Black and Latinx individuals make up 17% of the population in Massachusetts, but over 50% of these um, individuals are incarcerated. Before sealing your records, you should get certified copies of the complaint and docket sheets because you may need them later. Uh, once your case has been sealed, you can no longer go, go to the courthouse um, and ask for copies without, you'd have to actually unseal your cases. And if you are not a citizen, you should consult with an immigration attorney before you seal any cases. The first step in sealing a quarry is to get a copy of your quarry report. You can get a copy from the Department of Criminal Justice Information Services, also called DeSegis. You can get a copy online or by mail. It costs $25 or it is free if you are indigent. And there are forms to request a copy of your quarry at Mass. Gov. If you have any problems on your quarry, the first place you should go to is the probation department at the particular court and ask them to correct the mistake. And if they can't cor correct the mistake, you should file a complaint with the Department of Criminal Justice Information S Services, DeSegis. The DeSegis form is available online at mass.gov. And in the alternative, you can file a motion with the court and ask a judge to order correction. So how can I seal my quarry? There are two ways to seal most cases. The first is administratively through the commissioner of probation. And this is a by mail process after a seven year waiting period for a felony and a three year waiting period for misdemeanor. And there is no waiting period if the offense has been decriminalized or by a judge without a waiting period in court in some types of cases. And we will discuss this later. Sealing through the commissioner of probation. When you seal through the commissioner of probation, all your cases must be closed. The administrative process is found under GL chapter 276, section 100A. It's free and it involves completing a form and mailing it to the commissioner of probation. Right now, there is no hand delivering of this form due to the COVID-19. The waiting period, again, for a misdemeanor is three years and for a felony is seven years. One note, a felony larceny threshold has been increased from $250 to $1,200. So if you have a case that is, um, I'm sorry, if you have a case that uh, the threshold is under $1,200, that case should be treated as a misdemeanor. Currently, these types of cases are not screened by the Commissioner of Probation's Office for the shorter waiting period. So if you see a felony larceny charge before 2019, you should ask your client for the amount or you can also request the docket sheets. And this is the petition to seal form. The top of the form has the address. Part A is a series of checkboxes. The first checkbox is to seal juvenile cases. 
and juvenile cases have a three-year waiting period. The second checkbox is for misdemeanors, the third checkbox is for felonies, and for the fourth checkbox, are, this is for crimes or offenses which are no longer considered cr uh, criminal offenses. And so it's okay to check off all the boxes if you're not sure. The second part of the form is contact information. So that needs to be filled out and the um, full social security number needs to be uh, put into that form. And there's also a place to sign. In the bottom half of the form, there are three checkboxes. Again, the first checkbox is for juvenile charges and there's a signature line. And then the second and third checkbox is for misdemeanors and felonies. And there's also a signature line. If for some reason the, um, the individual has not signed in the correct places, the form will be returned. So how waiting periods work, starting the quarry clock. For every conviction, the waiting period starts from the date you were found guilty or the date you were released from incarceration, whichever is later. So for example, Joe was found guilty of a misdemeanor on May 4th, 2017, and that has a three year waiting period. He was on probation for a year and the case was closed on May 4th, 2018. He concealed the case on May 4th, 2020, three years after he was found guilty. However, if, if Joe um, picked up another conviction uh, on May 4th, 2019, that would restart the quarry clock and he would not be able to seal any case until May 4th, 2022. So with convictions, it's all or nothing. And a new conviction restarts the quarry clock. Some convictions have longer waiting periods. A conviction for a violation of abuse prevention and harassment prevention orders are treated as felonies for purposes of sealing records and have a seven year waiting period. Any conviction for a sex offense that required registering with the sex offender registry is not eligible for sealing until 15 years after the very last event in the case, including the end of any period of supervision, probation, parole, or release from incarceration. Persons in the sex presently registered as a sex offender are not permitted to seal any sex offense conviction. However, they can seal other types of cases that are eligible for sealing. If a person was a level one offender, but they are no longer in the registry, they would be able, they would be eligible to seal that sex offense, but there would be that 15 year waiting period. Again, they would be eligible to seal other, other cases on their quarry. And if an individual is ever registered as a level two or level three sex offender, they would never, he or she will never be able to seal convictions for certain types of offenses. However, there was a case called Commonwealth v. Co. And the SJC ruling in Commonwealth v. Co allowed an individual who was previously classified as a level two or level three offender to seal their cases if they are no longer in the registry and the statute is unconstitutional as applied to them. The sealing petition to the OCP would have to be accompanied by documentation, which may include an affidavit and support letters. And then there are some never sealable offenses. 
A conviction for a crime against public justice, such as witness intimidation or escape from jail can never be sealed. And these types of public justice crimes and state ethics uh, crimes can be found under chapter 268 and 268A. Previously, a resisting arrest conviction was a never sealable offense. However, um, the law, this law was changed in 2018 and now a conviction for resisting arrest can be sealed. Also, there are some firearms convictions that um, can never be sealed. And it's important to note that it's a conviction for these types of charges that can never be sealed. If an individual was charged but the case was dismissed, then they would be able to seal that type of charge. So now I would like to pass it on to my colleague, Ventura Dennis for the next part of this presentation. Hello everyone, um, I'm going to share my screen. I am a senior attorney in the Cori Project at Greater Boston Legal Services and I'm excited to be working with anyone who wants to help us out with these Cori cases. Hold on one second, guys. I'm sorry, it's just not letting me share the PowerPoint. I'm trying to fix that right now. Um, how about Terry, if you can just share yours, because I don't know why it's not letting me share mine on my screen. Let me, okay. let me try one more time while you're, I got it, I got it. Okay. Sorry guys for the delay. Okay, you see it? All right. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go over the other way to seal your records and that is through a court process. And this is um, described under section 100C in general laws, chapter 276. It involves filing a petition to seal in going to court for one or two hearings. So depending on which court you go to, it may be you go to the court and you schedule it after seven or 30 days to have a hearing in front of a judge, or you go to the court and have your hearing right away explaining why you meet the standard to sell your record. And then they schedule you for a second hearing within seven days. Now this is limited to district court, superior court and Boston municipal court. There is no sailing in federal court or of out of state cases. So what to file in court to have the hearing. You file the position to sail um, in the court where the case was handled. There is a standing order that allows you to consolidate cases if you have um, three or more within the Boston Municipal Court group of courts, um, which is South Boston, Dorchester, Rock West Roxbury, for example. Um, and that is something that you will be able to 
figure out once you're working with a client whether or not that standing order applies. An affidavit is usually helpful and we use it most of the time to file with the court explaining why the client meets the standard to sell their record. It is also helpful to file support letters, um, meaning from employers or from any rehabilitation program that the client has, has fulfilled. Those are really helpful to show the court that they are on the right path towards their rehabilitation, certificates from any training programs or, again, any rehabilitation programs, um, you can also submit as well. So this is the petition that you file with the court. At the top, it's, you fill out which court you're filing it with, and then the demographic information of the client, including their name, address, telephone number, and the PCF number is something that you can find on a copy of their record. Also, for the next part of this form, you really want to have a copy of the quarry because you will need the docket number, the offense charge, the disposition date, meaning the final event in the case, like what happened, that's that date you're looking for, and then the actual disposition, whether it was dismissed, no pros, or not guilty. And those are the only types of cases that you can ask the court to seal. You can seal convictions and non-convictions by mail through probation. But when you're in front of a judge, you can only seal non-convictions unless it is a first-time drug possession case. Um, this is, so after you fill out the charges, right underneath it asks, why you're asking the court to sale, we usually keep it very vague and brief because this form is posted in the court office um, and it is public, open to the public for anyone to see who goes into the clerk's office. And so we usually just say that my quarry um, is a disadvantage to jobs, housing, and volunteer opportunities because it is. And that vague sentence is enough to, for it to be filed with the court and posted. And then um, you also see there is a space for the signature and the date. And then after that, that is only for the court to fill out. So if there is more than the four or five charges, um, space for the charges, this is just a second page if a client has a number of offenses. Because you do have to write out A, B, and C of each offense, of each docket number. You can't just do like one case. So the legal standard to seal is now easier because of Commonwealth v. Pond in 2014, which was an appeal filed by GBLS. And the SJC overruled prior case law and lowered the legal standard of sealing cases to good cause. It also gave guidance on how judges should approach criminal sealing cases. So the the burden of proof is a present or foreseeable disadvantage. After pawn, petitioners can meet the burden of proof by showing that their quarry causes a credible, foreseeable disadvantage. So there are a number of factors, and I'm going to go over a lot of them just to be clear about what can be considered and what can be included in an affidavit for a client when they're asking a judge to seal.
So risk of unemployment, underemployment related to Corey, housing problems or risk of homelessness related to Corey, use of Corey by employers or licensors in one's present occupation or desired occupation. So even if a person, a client isn't working in that field right now, if they're going to school for that and receiving training for it, you can put that forward as a foreseeable disadvantage because they're likely going to face obstacles if their quarry isn't sealed in their field. So also to consider whether or not they receive public assistance for oneself or one's family, despite trying to get a job, denial of or impeded ability participation in volunteer or community activities. A lot of community centers require quarry background checks and unfortunately even dismissed charges can be a bar from being able to participate. Um, the amount of time since the offense or arrest is also important because it can be a case that went on for three years until it was dismissed but that's not reflected in what's on the petition and so it's important to bring that up if it has been a long time since the actual offense or arrest has occurred. The sobriety and rehabilitation efforts of the petitioner and efforts at self-improvement by the petitioner. Also, if they have um, any community contributions, work efforts, if they successfully completed their probation, they had no further contact with the criminal justice system after their offenses, other accomplishments or evidence of rehabilitation after the date of the offense. So that could be completing a program or even um, participating in therapy regularly if they have any mental health issues. Um, circumstances at the time of the offense are important to consider as well because it can be something that happened when they were very young, before they were 25, and their brain development hadn't fully come full circle. And so there are also stigmas and stereotypes attached to particular offenses that can pose additional safety threat to that particular offense if there's an if the defendant will pose additional safety threat to the community. And so that can just be in a lot of these um a lot of these cruisers they are able to access charges and also um, anyone who just sees dismissed charges on a record that can feed into negative stereotypes about that person even though it was dismissed a lot of employers and um, people who read quarries don't actually understand completely how to read it and so they may hold that against someone even though the crime was ultimately a not guilty or no pause because they don't exactly understand the disposition. So the courtroom process, once you file to have a petition and you're going in front of the judge, the judge will have a criminal record report, which is actually called a carry. And that includes um, restraining orders as well as criminal offenses, also some civil offenses that they have in those. And it's not unusual for the prosecutor to not assent or object, especially if it's violent offenses. Um, so we, you know, we just come prepared for that by having all of the evidence showing that they meet the legal standard and re, um, reinstating how important it is for them to move forward and contribute to their community. So the order itself, if the judge allows the petition to seal, needs to be signed by the judge, by the, proba by the probation office at that court 
we are having a hearing and then mail to the commissioner of probation's office. If it's missing a signature, that can definitely be an issue when it's time to be processed. And also it's a good idea to try to get a copy of the signed order um, after the hearing, if you need to stick around or come back the next day just to get a copy, that, that's great. And in the time of COVID, you can also just make sure you ask if it's a Zoom hearing and make sure you get that copy because it's very important that that gets signed by the right people and sent to the Commission of Probation to be processed correctly. Now, if you lose, you can file a motion to reconsider or appeal within 30 days. Um, and usually if you do that, it's because you have more evidence why this client should have their record sealed. Sometimes it's a job offer that wasn't included. Sometimes it's circumstances that weren't made clear by a previous affidavit before the judge. And you can also refile a petition if you lose. Sometimes a judge will say, you know, I, I do think this is a disadvantage. However, this it was just dismissed. I think if you come back with, in six months, I'll definitely allow the petition to be sealed. And so sometimes it may be worthwhile just to wait, especially if it's a smaller court where the judge is, on, there's only one or two judges sitting. So, in the time of COVID, you want to call the courthouse to learn their sealing and expungement procedures um, because courts are now operating on an emergency basis because of COVID. Some courts are conducting Zoom hearings, but many others are just postponing dates until later. Um, if you're unable to reach the courthouse directly, you can call the statewide court helpline at 833-912-6878. And you should also just call the court to call the court regularly before the hearing to make sure you have the most up-to-date information because of COVID sometimes court closes courts close suddenly and so you want to make sure you know exactly the procedure that they want to follow for a hearing and all the current standing orders and closure information is available on mass.gov guys and um, there is a link right there so I'm going to go ahead and pass this presentation to attorney Pauline Kieran, um, who is going to explain expungement. Okay, I need a, a second or so just to share my screen. Hold on one second. Okay, I'm going to be talking about expungement of criminal records and also the difference between expunging a record and sealing a criminal record. Uh, when you seal a criminal record, what happens is um, most entities, most employers, um, public agencies, and other query requesters are not going to have access to the criminal record, but there are exceptions. 
and the uh, criminal record will continue to exist. And as Ventura mentioned, police officers in their cruiser can um, run a license plate and then get the person's name and then pull up their, their quarry, which is going to include juvenile records. It will include adult uh, criminal records and it's gonna include even records that are sealed. And the same goes for um, the Department of Criminal Justice Information, uh, from the, um, the Department of uh, Youth Services, the Department of Children and Families, that they're doing searches for criminal records regarding people who are applying to be foster parents. So there are some uh, exceptions in the law or where you're, you know, there will be access um, to your record by certain types of employers. That's why if you have the ability to expunge, expungement is much better. And what expungement means is that the actual records of the court are completely destroyed. So the court record at the courthouse, including the court file, is physically destroyed. Uh, the same with the police records, same with probation records. So you get out of the, the database and the, the physical files are, um, you know, are expunged as well. But there, there are a number of caveats that apply. Uh, it's not necessarily a good idea for each and every client to expunge the record. Um, and the first thing you want to think about in terms of whether to expunge or not is whether or not your client is a citizen. And you really should not expunge any record if the client is undocumented or um, if, they, if they are not a citizen. Um, because they may need those records at a later time. The best example being, let's say um, somebody's in the process of applying for a green card, um, they get arrested, but the case ends favorably. Um, and what happens when you're arrested, you get fingerprinted, so you're in the FBI database. So ICE is gonna be able to find out about your criminal records, but in terms of um, the record keeping practices of the FBI, uh, they tend to have cases listed on the front end, meaning you know, you'll, they'll know something was filed, but they don't usually, at least for Massachusetts, they don't list the disposition. So you won't have any evidence that the case ended in your favor, that it was bogus or it was thrown out or you're found not guilty if you get all the records destroyed. So if you're dealing with, with somebody who um, is not a citizen, you have to take it seriously as much as you want. We all want to bury records as much as possible when we're advocating for people who have criminal records, but we do have to exercise a lot of, of care in the process. Um, the second uh, category of cases where you won't necessarily want to expunge immediately is cases where they, uh, there was a drug conviction or a drug case that was dismissed due to the drug lab scam scandal involving Annie Dukin or Sonia Farrakh. And I think there may be other uh, situations that are unfolding. So if you have a client whose case, whose, whose, whose conviction was vacated because of Annie Dukin in 2017, and it was the spring of 2017. So oftentimes if you look at a Corey report, you'll see um, dismissed with prejudice. And they all were in May of 2017 for, for Annie Dukin. Um, and those cases, um, you know, they, they are expungible, but on, on the other hand, you don't want to expunge your record in, in, until you've actually, if you're interested in, in getting your money back because you pay probation fees or other, expen uh, other expenses while the case was pending, 
um, you want to do that. Um, and there is a CPCS has developed a prototype motion for and CPCS actually stands for the Committee for Public Counsel. So they have a prototype motion so that folks whose cases um, were dismissed or uh, because of a drug lab scandal, they, they can get their money back. So you want to wait if the client is interested in getting money back before you go and expunge the records. Because if you do expunge the records, you're going to expunge the records of all the payments that were made. So it's it's not a prudent to, to do that. Uh, another situation where you might not want to expunge is, let's say uh, there was police violence or brutality and the client has a potential lawsuit regarding that misconduct. Uh, you know, if you destroy all of the records, you know, it, it, it may be uh, difficult then to litigate the case. So you have to sort of think about what's sort of going on with the client and how these um, records might be relevant to the, um, the person's life. I mean, when you seal records, um, you can always go back into court. You can file a motion to reopen the case, though once you do that, reopen the case for pur purpose of sealing it, um, but you have to remember then, you have to go back and then seal it again once you unsealed it and you get the documents that you want. And there's a second mechanism where we don't have to file motions anymore. We can contact the Commissioner of Probation's office at One Ashburton Place in Boston, and you can request that they um, unseal certain cases, and they're very cooperative and, and have been very helpful in, in those instances. So you don't have the long delays that we used to have years ago when we could only resort to filing a motion with the court. But on the other hand, if somebody's got an immigration case going on and they've got a hearing uh, coming up, they're gonna, they may need those documents in a hurry. So again, uh, you wanna do proper planning with the client around the potential use of these records uh, at, a, at a future time. And then um, when you seal records, it's it's really prudent for the client to get certified copies because they may need them at a later time, like if they want to work in the child care profession and uh, the Department of Early Education Care for is it, uh, an agency that gets access to sealed records. So it could affect the, the, the occupation. So it'll save you some time if you've got those docket sheets and you've got the police reports um, that are found in the, in the court file so that you can give that to the employer when you have to sort of explain the, the circumstances. Um, with expungement, as I explained before, um, the records won't be there anymore. So if you're gonna expunge, you really need to get a bunch of certified copies. I can't tell you how many you'll need, but uh, it's, it's, it's good to get a, a lot of them. If it's probably a younger person who, or somebody who changes jobs a lot, you're going to want to have a lot of certified copies um, and then in terms of advising the client what they could do is maybe make a regular copy of the certified copy for the employer so they have that original that they can show um, later on so it's that's one thing you definitely want to do is get those certified copies and then once your your massachusetts um, records are expunged as i explained uh, those police records and other records are going to be destroyed, which would be a positive thing. So in terms of racial profiling and things of that nature, in terms of racial bias that exists, it, it can be really helpful in, in terms of um, your future going forward. Uh, 
in 2018, Massachusetts, for the first time, got an expungement law. Before that, we there were a few circumstances where the SJC had sanctioned expungement, but it was only a couple situations. So now we've got two types of expungement uh, on the books. Um, the first type of expungement uh, is specifically designed for juvenile records and for um, first offenses under the age of 21. So that could be an adult case because the juvenile court, even though jurisdiction has been expanded um, to age 17, you still have, we still have the 18 year olds and maybe seniors in high school who are going to have criminal cases filed um, in the adult court. Um, the, this particular, the particular provision that was supposed to benefit lots of young people and people under 21, it's not very useful because it's really limited to one charge as the law is written. So if you've got two charges in a single case, you're not gonna be eligible, then it's got many, many exceptions. So we at GBLS, we um, are, are probably the program, program in legal services that, that seals and expunges the most cases. We haven't had any juvenile expungement um, cases that, that fit under the statute. The second type of expungement is under section K, section 100K of chapter 276. That holds a lot more promise and it covers a, a variety of situations from decriminalized cases and identity fraud and similar miscarriages of justice. That's the, the overview and the, and the snapshot. As I mentioned before, this um, juvenile under 21 expunging um, has lots of ex exceptions and exclusions. The good thing is there's no fee for it. The petition um, that you file is not filed with court directly. It's filed with the commissioner of probation. And as I mentioned before, it's one bite at the apple and you can only have one charge. If you've got a single incident and there were three charges, you're out of luck. Um, it also has a seven year waiting period for a felony offense um, and a three year waiting period for a misdemeanor before you can even um, attempt to expunge your records. This is what the petition looks like. It's fairly straightforward. Um, what's nice about the, the, the and that makes it easy is you check the boxes off, whether it was uh, delinquency adjudications or youthful offender um, convictions. Though technically a, a youthful in the juvenile court, you're never really convicted of anything. It's an adjudication. Uh, the, the, the petition form that was created is, is not that precise. And then um, it also delineates um, you know, adult convictions and then also things that were non-convictions if they were delinquency, non-adjudications or a youthful offender or um, adult um, non-convictions. But so it's a, so the third box will be anything that, that wasn't a conviction. And as I mentioned, you, you're probably not gonna run into any, uh, any clients um, who will um, be utilizing the juvenile law. But the good news is uh, it was included in um, uh, the, the, the um, budget bill uh, and where there were some amendments that were put on, I was, I'm sorry, it was included in the police reform bill. So there is a provision for expunging records, which would at least expand it to 
two cases without any limit on the number of charges. So if you've got one case and it has 14 charges and you've got a second case and it's got 15 charges, that's okay. Um, but there are still limitations on the number and the same rules would apply in terms of the, um, the, the three and the, the seven years. Um, and there's, there's more leeway with um, some of the non-convictions, but we'll see what happens. We're hopeful that that will uh, that the policing bill get signed by the governor, and then um, we'll we'll have some additional relief for young people. In terms of the alternative type of expungement, Chapter Two Seventy Six, Section One Hundred K provides for six types of, of um, expungement. Um, the good thing about Section One Hundred K is it does cover both juvenile records and adult records. So even though you couldn't squeeze your, your circumstances under the other sections of the statute that were specially designed for young people and um, people with juvenile records, you, your, your case may be expungeable under Section 100K. So any situation where uh, there was a false identification or an unauthorized use of a person's identity, that could be somebody impersonated you or they used your ID, um, and did something along those lines, um, you're going to be able to file a, a petition with the court to, um, you know, to, to expunge all of the records and get them destroyed. That wasn't the case before the change in the law. We had um, we had some SJC case law, but it was it was only if there was a. a a false identification or they filed against the wrong person um, in very limited circumstances could you expunge. So this, this expands expungement law greatly because of the new statute. Um, the second type of expungement that you can obtain under second, Section 100K is expungement of any decriminalized offense. So examples of, of offenses that are decriminalized are um, marijuana possession, if it was two ounces or less than two ounces, uh, and it was a possession offense, you're going to be able to expunge that. Oftentimes, we do run into situations where the client was um, charged with possession, but they also picked up a distribution charge. So it was assumed because marijuana was illegal at the time that you maybe would be a, you maybe are a drug dealer. So what happened was they got charged with distribution. That distribution charge, even though it arose out of, in many instances, because of the fact that marijuana was illegal, that that cannot be expunged under the current law. Um, we're hoping that in the future that the law gets amended to expand that because a, a lot of people are basically out of luck because they're just still stuck with this um, distribution offense, which they would never would have been charged with but for the fact that marijuana used to be um, illegal in terms of possession. Uh, another uh, example of a criminal offense that's been decriminalized is being in the presence of heroin. And there are were, there were some instances, uh, for example, on the juvenile side, where our, which are now um, decriminalized, if it was disorderly conduct or dis, dis, um, disrupting a school assembly and it took place at a school. There are some instances where that would, that's another example of something um, which can be decriminalized. Um, the same also goes for um, offenses that were uh, committed by, basically by children 
people were charged in the juvenile court, what happened as part of 2018 criminal justice reform was the age of the juvenile court was raised. And believe it or not, you could be age seven or older uh, and you could be charged with an offense that was in the juvenile court. So they raised the jurisdiction to age 12. So I think it's, it's, an, it's arguable that any of those cases that involve children under that age, and all those cases, by the way, were dismissed and were thrown out, but if people have, but you know, they're still on somebody's records um, much of the time. So it probably is a good idea to try to expunge the record because I, as I explained before, there are exceptions. So if it's only sealed, then there are gonna be entities that are gonna be able to see the records and that's gonna interfere with your opportunities to get certain types of employment. Um, the third category uh, for expungement is demonstrable errors by law enforcement. That's, that's a pretty broad term. So that could cover any sort of mistake um, made by police. And what the statute says, you know, that you can expunge if the record was created as a result of. So if the record's created because of demonstrable errors by law enforcement, um, then you can expunge. So if you had a situation where um, the, the, the complaint really truly lacked any probable cause, it's a minimal standard to bring to file a criminal complaint, that might be something that's expungeable. Um, or there are other errors where they just got, they listed the wrong name or something. And so if you were John Smith or you're Juan Perez, you have a common name and somehow they messed up the paperwork so then the wrong person gets hauled into court, um, then that person's going to be able to expunge. But there may be other errors. Um, there may be misidentification errors. Um, sometimes I've had, I've had clients, for example, who they were a person of color and um, they happened to be in the vicinity of the crime. The best example I can have is I had a client years ago that would be a robbery committed in Central Square and person ran across the BU bridge and he happened to be taking a leisurely walk home after coming home from work, um, walking back to Boston. And so he was arrested, even though he looked nothing like the actual person who committed the crime, but he was a black person who was on the bridge. So when you have situations that have, whether they have to do with racial profiling or any other error that might fit within the statute, it's certainly worth a try to, um, Try to expunge the record. Then there are also, uh, there's another category called demonstrable errors by witnesses, civilian or expert. So this is the category that we hang our hat on in terms of um, expunging Annie Dukin or Sonia Farrakh drug scandal cases. Uh, and But there may be other instances where um, there are mistakes made. It, it could be that somebody um, misperceived an event or misidentified somebody and then realizes it later on, or that, you know, maybe they made up a lie um, and uh, then feel bad about it. And so you can argue that errors are mistakes. And these are, they were mistakes of judgment. We don't have any case law, by the way, on section 100 K. So it means it's kind of wide open. So we're going to be the pioneers um, making the law in terms of, uh, going to the courts and trying to get judges to read the law as broadly as possible. So there is some room for creativity in terms of um, 
what you can do in terms of trying to expunge some records. The worst that will happen is, you know, you get denied for the expungement. I had a situation that had to do with the motor vehicle registry. And what I ended up doing was I filed an expungement petition, but then I also filed a sealing petition as a backup. So, um, you know, you, you, you can sort of deal with, with some of these problems that the client has by pleading in the alternative. And then another category for expungement is demonstrable errors by court employees. There actually was a case that had gone to the appeals court where there was an exception carved out where what happened was it was somebody with a very common name and then um, the petition was filed in the, the complaint, I should, the criminal complaint was filed in the Dorchester court. And there was somebody else with the same name who'd had cases in the Dorchester court. So they issued a complaint against a guy who had nothing to do with the crime that was committed. So in that instance, actually the appeals court um, recognized that that person had a legitimate reason to um, have the record expunged because it was the wrong person. And then the police never intended to prosecute that person. And then the last category for expungement under section 100K is demonstrable fraud perpetrated on the court. And fraud perpetrated on the court it's, is really a term of art. It's not defined in this statute, but there's a lot of case law as to what fraud perpetrated on the court is. And it's, it's not just mere um, lying or omissions um, in terms of factual statements you might make to the police or something along those lines. It means that the action of the, the uh, alleged uh, victim has to be such that it, it's intended to really um, misuse the legal system and it goes to sort of the machinery of the operation of the court. For example, uh, bribery of a, a, a judge or a court employee or something along those lines or an instance where the whole thing was bogus to begin with but it was just designed, um, you know, as, as a misuse of the court system. Um, but that, but they are very reluctant to um, find fraud on the court. There is some case law to the effect there was there was one case in particular where somebody had some mental health issues, um, and they filed a case that was unwarranted, and the court basically found that it wasn't fraud on the court because there was no malicious intent um, in terms of the person who had filed the paperwork. And it wasn't an egregious situation where um, fraud had actually occurred and that was the intent of the person's actions. But you know, you could have, for example, some um, situations uh, where, for example, somebody uh, is um, a survivor of domestic violence, they get a restraining order and then the, the, the person who abused them is very angry and then files some kind of retaliatory claim with the court that's completely um, completely bogus. Um, but you gotta remember uh, with, with the with instances um, of expungement, there is gonna be a higher standard of proof. You have to show clear and convincing evidence. And then this is what an expungement petition looks like. It's pretty simple. Um, you put the docket number uh, and then you check off the box that applies in terms of the various 
categories, you write a summary, um, and then it'll also uh, has, a, has a box for you to check off if you want to request a hearing. We routinely request a hearing on these petitions because we've had experiences where uh, the court has actually denied expungements for decriminalized marijuana, which we were very surprised about because we thought, in a nutshell, those would be no-brainers for a judge in terms of expungement. So it, it's, it's not always so easy to get your petition allowed. And that these were, uh, I have an appeal going on right now. So hopefully by next year, maybe we'll have some case law on this. Um, but you can have an instance where the, the, the judge may deny the uh, expungement petition and you don't have much of a record um, in terms of credibility of the client or anything else if you're only doing it on the papers. So it's, it's something to consider. And you, if you're, in terms of doing a case for the BBA, those of us at GBLS are are happy to talk to you, um, you know, you know about the expungement process. And then the judge, so I keep keep going back uh, back and forth. So what will happen is if the judge hears your petition, um, the the legal standard is there's clear and convincing evidence that your case uh, falls under these uh, the, under the six circumstances. And they, there has to be clear and convincing evidence. So if, if, if there's a, if the case is highly contested in terms of the facts, when you read all the police reports and everything else, um, you know, my guess is probably a, a judge is going to be very reluctant to expunge. On the other hand, there may be instances where it's, it's very clear, um, you know, from even the factual documentation, or maybe you've got some witnesses. So it may be a very strong case. Because ultimately, the, the judge is, has to find there's clear and convincing evidence and also has to find it's in the interest of justice to expunge the record. Um, and there are, I just, uh, and I ask anybody out there who uh, has a decriminalized uh, expungement, decriminalized offense expungement denied to give me a call at uh, GBLS because we are looking at those cases because as, as I mentioned, we had a case where the person's records were expunged. What, what, the request was to expunge all the records. Uh, it was only uh, three decriminalized marijuana charges. There was nothing else on the person's record because they had previously sealed everything. And then what you should know when you, when you, when you do go to court, um, section 100A of chapter 276, um, that prohibits um, the court from considering sealed records. Um, sealed records, um, you know, shouldn't be considered at, at a sealing hearing, um, and they also shouldn't be used to get against a person at an expungement hearing. So the appeal that I have pending, the judge just summarily denied the petition and said it was not in the interest of justice, even though I had gotten the Suffolk District Attorney's Office to assent to the expungement, and probation put it in writing that they had no, um, they had no opposition to the expungement. Um, and we should mention with both the sealing petitions and the expungements, when you file these things with the court, you send a copy to the DA's office for the, the county that, that, that the uh, court is located in. So for Suffolk County, it's sent it to the, the Suffolk DA's office, or if it was the Hingham District Court, you know, you'd send it to the um, Norfolk District Attorney's office. So notice um, should be given um, in general, we don't find that the DA's offices are willing to um, 
are willing to uh, assent to um, cases. But I think when you have a, a decriminalized marijuana uh, case, I think that would be an instance where um, you, you could um, maybe get them to assent. I'm gonna briefly go over the rights of clients after uh, sealing and expungement of records. Once, once the records are sealed, um, the person is entitled to say they have no record. Um, whenever they're applying for jobs or housing and occupational licensing. And the statute is very specific about those three categories. Uh, and this was clarified in terms of legislation that was enacted in, in 2018. Um, similarly, when somebody goes to the clerk's office and asks for a, a court file, if it's been sealed, then they're required to say that no record exists. There is an exception for uh, law enforcement agencies and um, you know, it, the statute specifies any courts. Obviously the courts are always able to um, you know, get copies of, of records of other courts and their own courts. And, and they have, uh, there's another provision for appointing authorities. So it, it may be that there's a statute that gives um, an entity uh, special access to seal records. But by and large, you know, if the, the news, the, the, you know, the Boston Globe reporters going to look up a record or, or just, a, uh, just an ordinary citizen or a lawyer is going to look up a record on a party um, they're going to tell you um, that no record exists. And that includes even if the person is your client, they're not permitted to reveal the record. And as I mentioned before, there are those um, special categories of access to sealed records. So juvenile justice agencies, which is defined as police, probation, courts, and, and similar law enforcement entities, um, you know, they can get access to sealed records. But as I mentioned before, do remember that those sealed records, um, you know, they, the judge should not be probing you about what records were previously sealed because um, the statute's clear that they're um, not to be used, um, you know, except in, in limited circumstances. And then we have the Department of Early Education and Care, which licenses um, child care programs, preschool programs, sort of a lot of programs involving children under six. They're going to be able to get those sealed records. DYS, um, DCF will be able to see sealed records if you try to adopt or be a foster parent. And then in terms of the sealed criminal records, um, as I mentioned before, for most purposes, they, they are not admissible they're not admissible into evidence. However, if you've got a conviction, whether it's, or you've got an adjudication as a juvenile, whether it's a, as a youthful offender or a juvenile delinquent, uh, that can be considered at the time of sentencing if you're found guilty. So let's say you seal all your records, you pick up another case, and later on you're convicted. So when, when they're doing sentencing, they can look at your sealed records and consider that evidence against you. In terms of a, a sealed adult records and civil proceedings, by and large, they're not admissible at all. And the, if you look at the rules of evidence uh, from the SJC, those are, that, that are online, um, that the, the rules specify that you, know, you, you, you can't use sealed um, adult criminal records. 
um, but they can be used in certain instances in the probate and family court or in 209A restraining order proceedings. But it, it's, there's a, a special procedure that has to be followed. Um, you have to file a motion and then a judge would review the actual records and decide whether they're relevant to the safety either of a, char, uh, a child or a party. Um, and uh, re with regard to their safety and also with regard to child custody and visitation issues. So the family court in particular is, is a place where um, some of those sealed records may come back um, to haunt somebody later on and, and be used against them in, in a negative way. Um, expunged records sim simply no longer exist though. The FBI will, will still have data on your case. So it's something to keep in mind because when you expunge, it's only the Massachusetts records that are, that are actually destroyed. It's not other records outside of Massachusetts or with federal agencies. So that pretty much sums it up for criminal records. Um, we thank all of you for uh, listening to this training and for participating in our pro bono efforts. Um, this is really a, a, a racial justice issue in a, in a major way that impacts lots of communities of color. You saw the first slide that Terry presented. Um, people of color are disproportionately incarcerated and doing a sealing case or an expungement case truly can be life-changing. We have so many clients and they are so grateful and they're able to get jobs. They're, they're able to get into a training program that they couldn't get into. I mean, there were so many collateral consequences of records. This really is a way to empower people individually and also to end poverty. Thank you so much for attending today's program.